0: Amen. Thank you so much, guys. Brilliant. Thank you. Well, if you've got that um, open, do grab it? If you haven't and you want to run and get a Bible from the back, feel free. Uh, They're the red ones at the back. And we're in Luke chapter 15, right at the very beginning. Um, And hi, if you don't know me, my name's Nicola. Really lovely to be here tonight with everybody. And I just have to say hi to a few people online because we've got a few key people out with COVID at the moment. We love you guys. Bless you. We're thinking of you. Shall we pray? as we have a look at this passage. Father, thank you so much for your word. And God, I pray that this story tonight will speak to us today. And God, that each of us here will hear what we need to hear from you. Amen. So we had the huge privilege of going to Jordan around Easter time, which was an amazing experience. We went out to visit some friends of ours that live out there. And uh, as we were driving along one evening, I was watching out the window in the vehicle and I observed two shepherds coming down from a hillside and behind them were just like this mass of sheep. And when they got to the end of the, the kind of, got to the bottom, got to the road, they sort of did, I don't know, I was in the car, so I can't hear, but some sort of evening greeting to each other. And then they both went in opposite directions, and this mass of sheep just sort of parted equally and obviously followed the correct shepherd. And it was so amazing to watch, because I'm going to just make a quick guess tonight, but are there any shepherds here in West London? Nope, They're not really like, we're not really into like shepherdry here in the city, it's not really an image that we see around us, and even if we do, what do you think of when you think of like sheep and shepherds, do you imagine like kind of green farms, whales, uh, sheepdogs, rounding them up, quite a different kind of experience of shepherding and, and, and being sheep, but in the time when Jesus was speaking to people, it was common for them to see uh, shepherds and sheep. And so Jesus takes an image that they were familiar with and an image that they knew about in their scriptures in the Old Testament. And also they could see in their daily lives and speaks about it now in this parable. And so we're going to be looking at that together. But well, I want to ask you a question tonight. I want to ask you, what... Right now, if you were to sort of close your eyes, what's your image of God? When I say God, what do you think of? And uh, if you're like a picture person, you might you might even have like a physical image. Or if your brain's a bit more like mine, I just sort of have an overall impression. But if I say, "What's your impression? What's your image of God?" What would you say? Why don't you be brave and tell the person near you what's your image of God tonight what's your overall impression of God? say hello and uh, share hi Brilliant. Well, just a few seconds, and we're going to gather back. Okay. Cool. So, like, did anyone who spoke to you their idea? Was it good? Did anyone have a good idea in the room? Anyone? Is anyone like willing to share? People don't like it when I wander around with the microphone. We're meant to be interactive with the service, but you guys hate it, don't you? I know that. I know that. Okay. I'm not going to do it to you. Don't worry. Um, but. What we think about God is massive, it's really, really, really important. And a, a guy called Tozer wrote this, and it might come up on the slides if, um, if they're working, but he wrote this, he said, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. For we tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. What we think God is like is what we will move towards, but it, it will massively impact how we relate to God. So our image of God is really, really important. Now, I was a child in the 80s, and I grew up in Brixton. And um, in my church, we had, we, had kind of, we had a band. We probably thought we were cool, but we sang some terrible songs. It was the 80s, people. And um, we sang a song in our church that went something like this. Actually, no, I'm not gonna sing it. It went, God, you're more than a conqueror. Okay, I know I, can't, I really can't do it, um, but it was bad. And it's it also, it sort of God, you're more than a conqueror. Except for I was obviously a little bit deaf and the music kind of faded in the word conqueror. I didn't hear the urr bit at the end. So I, all I heard was, God, you're more than a conqueror. And so between the ages of about eight and 10, I sang this song, God, you're more than a conquer." Yes, I love you, Lord, you're more than a conquer. Um, and for ages, I was like, this church is nuts. Of course, God's more than a conquer, right? God's definitely more than a conquer. And thankfully, because there was um, clearly some good people in my church that said good things, I knew, I knew God was more than a conquer. God was huge. Um, They told me God would be with me when I was at school and I was having a hard time. They told me God was big enough for my questions. They told me God was powerful and I was privileged to see God move in power at a young age. And so I knew God was more than a conqueror, thank goodness. Because our image of God's gonna affect how we relate to him. And if tonight A classic one is having an image of God, say, of a a sort of really strict head teacher. Then you're going to be nervous about relating to God. You might fear God's going to ruin your fun. You might feel like you have to get it together before you talk to God. Or if your image of God is a policeman waiting to catch you out on that speeding ticket, then again, you're probably going to avoid God. And maybe your image of God is nothing at all. And therefore you're going to neglect the opportunity of relating to God. So our image of God is massively important. And he's more than a conqueror. So in our next slide, a speaker who came to speak to us a couple of weeks ago in our morning services um, said, the image of Luke 15 gives us of God is of the running father. The running father. Father. And in Luke's, in this chapter 15, what we get presented to us through three different stories is of somebody who's passionately looking for the lost and is going after the lost, ready to embrace the lost. And we hear about it in three stories. And the first one we've got tonight is of the the shepherd who goes after the lost sheep. The next one that comes is after the woman who loses a coin, which was like a day's wages. And then the the final one, the most famous of the stories of the, the father who loses his son. And the image Luke 15 gives us of God is of the running father the one who comes to seek after the lost. And so we're gonna turn and we're just gonna look at the first of this, these stories tonight and these few verses um, that was read to us. And um, I don't know if you do this in like English GCSE anymore or anything, but if you, if you don't, this is quite a good one to pull out for your teachers. Um, It's called inverted parallelism, or the chiastic structure, have you heard of that? Um, So basically, you've not heard about that, they don't teach that, nothing. Okay, well you could impress them, like you you could put that in your exam, get your extra point. Um, Okay, so in our Western way of telling stories, often the climax of the story happens like right at the end of the story, you know, where that couple finally get together and kiss, or like, I don't know, the dramatic event is sort of solved. The climax often happens towards the end. But in the culture that Jesus grew up with and, and was in, the climax to the stories often happened right in the middle. The key point was in the middle of the story. So if you have a look at this um, slide we've got on the screen, so you, you can read the, um, the parable. We gaze after the lost one, so he's lost, until he finds it, finds it, puts it on his shoulders and rejoices. And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbours and that's the sort of bringing it back home, restoring this lost sheep. Then says to them, "Rejoice with me, because I've found my sheep, which was lost." And our eye, if we're trained in this, and the people Jesus was talking to were trained in this, should go right to the middle of that parable. And that is the key point that Jesus wants to emphasize to us. Right at the center is this idea. That God is a God who wants to bring us home. Is your image of God an image of a God who wants to bring you home? Who wants to restore you? Who loves you? And if you think about home, you know, home is the place where you're most yourself. You know, the guards are down. There's no pretense or mask on at the home. Home is the place you flop and you relax. Home is the place you belong. Home is the place where you're part of a community, no matter what, they can't get rid of you because you're like their son or daughter or something, are so stuck with you. Your home is the place where you are you. And it's your image of God, an image of God who wants to bring you and bring everyone home. And what Jesus is saying in this parable is, Jesus has come to tell us about God who wants to restore us and bring us home, and he is that God. Now, it's really um, important for us just to clock, uh, I wonder if you clock this in in verse one, verse two of the passage, if you have a look, who who Jesus is actually speaking to in this chapter. Um, do you notice he's speaking to the tax collectors and the sinners? Do we have anyone who works in tax in the house tonight? It's always a scary thing in West London, because it's normally someone, not tonight. Okay, sorry. Well, if you tax collectors, people who do with tax, you were lumped in with the sinners in those days. They were basically um, kind of people that were really frowned on because they were kind of working with the Romans and, you know, taking too much money and all that jazz. See, so Jesus is welcoming these tax collectors and these sinners, and who's telling him off about it? If you have a look at these verses, who's upset with him? The Pharisees, thank you, Sean. The Pharisees are super upset. Who were the Pharisees? They were like the religious leaders, the holy guys, the priests, the people that kind of followed God's like Old Testament law perfectly. And they're so upset with Jesus because he is inviting the tax collectors and the sinners to come home. And what Jesus is doing in this passage is he's saying, do you know what? I'm actually, I'm not just welcoming them. I'm actually going after them. And I'm going to go and fetch them. And I'm bringing them home because I love them so much. And that really, really annoys them. So that's what's going on in this passage. We need to be brought home. Ernest Hemingway uh, tells a story. Um, he tells a story of a Spanish father and his teenage son. And the relationship between the father and son becomes really strained. And the son is uh, very rebellious, really naughty, and uh, yeah, just it's awful. And their relationship basically gets completely uh, destroyed. And the son's name uh, was Paque. And Paque was a really common Spanish name. And Paco eventually runs off and runs away from home completely. And the father's sort of like, oh man, what am I gonna do? And because he's a good dad, he goes and he tries to search and find his son. And uh, what he decides to do eventually after trying and he can't find him is he puts an ad in uh, the newspaper in Madrid, the Madrid newspaper. And the ad says this, Dear Paco, please meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon. All is forgiven. Love, Father. As Hemingway tells the story, the next day at noon, in front of the newspaper office, were 800 Pacos, all seeking forgiveness from the Father's. You see, within us, whether we admit it or not, there is a restlessness for restoration, a desire to be forgiven and brought back home. And I don't know about you, but if you've lived long enough, you'll know in life that there's great things to enjoy. You know, there's exciting trips, there's a world to explore, there's brilliant friendships, there's nice wine, we had some great food at lunchtime, a a nice drink and all this. And there's so much stuff to enjoy in the world, but there's also stuff where we look at the world and we're like, yeah, it's 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 not great, is it? I've just read the news today, it's not great. And like that sickness, that's rubbish and that pain, that's horrible. And I feel, I feel out of the inner circle, ever felt lonely or a bit left out at times. You know, we, we experience stuff that's rubbish. And as we go through life, we experience both the good and the bad. But in the medley of all of that, we find ourselves not totally all right all the time. I don't know a single, I've never met someone who hasn't had a a blue day at least once. And in those moments, that's when we feel kind of like the most homesick. Because in us, there's this desire to come back and come home to God. And so God is teaching us in this parable, that's why he's come. He's come to call you home to the perfect home where you're fully known and loved and accepted. Okay, so I kind of wish I had a a kind of a sheep here, because that would be cute, wouldn't it? Um, But I couldn't quite do that illustration. Um, But the sheep, when it wanders off, it uh, apparently, when they wander off, thank goodness there's no actual shepherds here, but when they wander off, they start to bleat, like beep, beep, you know, because they're like scared. They've lost their shepherd. And they start to bleat quite loudly. And As they bleat loudly, one of two things is gonna happen to the sheep. Either they're gonna get rescued by their shepherd, yay, or they're gonna get devoured, other animals because obviously they're now alerting all the wild beasts that they are lost and on their own. So they're they're pretty stupid. It's very offensive. God relates us to these sheep. Anyway, um, so they're bleating. (laughs) And of course, these wild animals are going to get closer to them to devour them. And the further away that they have got from the shepherd, the more danger they're in. Have you ever done something you know God would say that that wasn't great? Anyone ever done something they or something? Once you've done that thing, did you know it's easier to do it again? It's really annoying. If you've ever sped in your car, I've got a child in the room, so I can't lie. If you've ever sped in your car, it's kind of easier to do it again. Not great. And you get further away. You ever looked online at something, you know, probably isn't that wholesome for you. As you know, you become dumb and it, to it, it's easier to do it again. And we get further and further away. And the further away from the shepherd we get, the more danger we're in. And we're bleating away. And we're at real risk of being devoured. And the difficult thing is with the sheep is that they don't realise that they're at risk of being devoured. And that's so true of us when we get spiraled and sucked into going the wrong way. But you know, the image we have in this parable is so beautiful because the image of this parable is that no matter how far that sheep has strayed, the shepherd leaves the other sheep and goes after that one that's lost because he loves it so much. And when he gets to the sheep and he finds it bleating in the bush, this is like the really bad thing because they're bleating to alert the wild animals are there. Um, They also cannot move by this point because they are so frightened. Their knees are knocking together and they're bleating and they can't move and so they're just sitting prey. And so the shepherd has to grab hold of the sheep and put the sheep on his shoulders and bring it back. The sheep cannot rescue itself. You and I need restoring and we cannot rescue ourselves. we have to let go of some pride and we have to allow the shepherd to pick us up and bring us home and you see that folks is what repentance is And if your image of God is an image of God who's going to just tick you off and tell you off, then the idea of repentance sounds kind of scary because you don't know how that's going to go before a God that might tick you off. But if your image of God is the God of a shepherd running after you and looking for you and waiting to embrace you, then it's slightly easier to go, yeah, actually, God, I do need you to pick me up. I need you to pick me up and bring me home. And that's why our image of God is so important and that's why Jesus tells us three times these same sort of themes in these stories so we get it into our heads. I'm just very quickly gonna just tell you one thing. Do you know Jesus didn't really make up this story from scratch? I don't know if you you thought he did, Um, but actually this image of the the shepherd and the sheep runs all through scripture, and I'm so glad Sean's in the house. Sean, can you read a bit of Hebrew? Can you read Hebrew? Yeah, awesome, great, in a minute, I need you, um, because I'm gonna sound really bad. Um, Okay, here we go, next slide on um, Psalm 23. There's a famous psalm, Psalm 23. Um, the Lord restores, my, the Lord's my shepherd. He restores my soul. He leads me beside quiet waters. He may, David wrote this psalm about the good shepherd who restores years before, right? And you know David like messed up. And if you're sat here tonight and you're just feeling a bit like, yeah, but I'm too much bleating in the bush. I've gone too far. Well, David like, Slept with a lady and then like to save face killed her husband. Like David was super like, he super messed it up. And yet he experienced the restoration that God brings. And in this psalm when he talks about he restores my soul. It's not just a like, oh God made me feel a little bit better today when I was a bit down. Where's the Hebrew? Let's get it up. Sean, see if you can read these words for me. What's the Hebrew that it is in this psalm, verse 3? Nashi Yeshovev. It's, it's not with a B, it's with a V, but it's a Nafshi Yoshovev, which is Lashuv means to return, but this is the third person imperfect, so it would be to bring back or restore, so he will bring it back or he will restore so awesome to have you, Sean. I am so lucky. Sean Sean became a Christian not very long ago. We baptized you on Easter Day, which was awesome. And um, Sean has, we are so looking forward to feeding on your, your knowledge and your background. Um, so helpful. So did you hear what Sean was saying? It means to bring back. It has an essence of almost causing me to repent. It's quite a deep, deep thing here. It's not just he lifted me out of a little bit of depression today. It's like he totally got me he caused me to repent and he brought me back home he restores my soul and as we go through the scriptures, just really quickly on the next slide, we, we hit more of this story, which comes up in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel. And as, as the prophets speak of the same sort of idea of God being the shepherd, they add to it. And they say, you know what, they, they, all the whole flock needs rescuing. And, um, and, and not just that, but God himself is going to come as the shepherd and restore the sheep. And there's Jesus telling this story about the shepherd who goes to to rescue the sheep. And in John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. And those Pharisees are listening in. They're like, we hated him already because he was like talking to the sinners. We hate him even more because now he's like claiming to be God and like we're totally gonna kill him. You kind of get why they're gonna kill him when you kind of look into this. They're so annoyed with him. But Jesus is making it absolutely clear. He has come as our good shepherd to rescue you and bring you home. Kenneth Bailey, a brilliant author, writes this. And I think we've got it on a slide, maybe a couple, three. You wonder why I receive sinners and eat with them. I do say because in my person, God is fulfilling his great promise hinted at in David's shepherd psalm and spelled out clearly in Jeremiah and Ezekiel they, these prof- through these prophets he pledged himself to come in person and round up the lost sheep he also pledged himself to rescue the flock from the shepherds who destroyed them this is who I am and this is why I do what I do You see, the thing with the Pharisees and the religious leaders is um, when Matthew tells the same story, he says the 99 sheep are kind of all all the good good followers. Uh, When Luke tells it here, the 99 sheep are clearly uh, the Pharisees, the righteous ones who think they are okay. And the problem is, is that they're not. And Jesus tells us these stories because he wants us to be ever so careful in the way we judge others he wants us to just think do we need to repent and return home ourselves but he also wants us to know that repenting and turning home is no small thing it is no joke sin is massively serious if you're left bleeding in that bush out there you are at every danger of being devoured But there's a good shepherd who's coming and longs to pick you up and put you on his shoulders. And so, our final picture, I just wonder tonight, whatever you said about your image of God, your impression of God at the beginning, I wonder if you can add this in. I mean, you might not like the look of this guy, that's fine. You can change his color, shape, size, whatever. But can you add this in? very firmly to your image of God. And when you go out there in the world, people need to know about this because people think so often God's like the headmaster who's just waiting to tick them off. But that isn't what the Bible teaches us. He is the good shepherd who's come to bring us home, to restore our souls. I just wanna invite you to stand and we're gonna we're gonna pray together tonight.